You know, I usually come up here and I just start with a lesson. I figure a bunch of announcements have already been made, but I'd like to say a few things before the lesson this morning. First one is, let me remind you, if you have uh, if you have some people on the prayer list, to check that and keep that updated so that we keep that fresh. And the reason I make that announcement is because Scott Love is on there, and I, I meant to mention that to Donnie this morning, but I forgot. And he has surgery coming up on the uh, on the tenth on Friday. Um, this is a very serious surgery. Um, it's on his neck. It is the one from which his father passed away years ago. And so I'm sure he's a little nervous about that. And uh, so let's, uh, let's keep them in our prayers. That's this Friday. The second one is the lesson sheets that we, we hand out to the young folks that like to keep up with, uh, with the sermon and fill out uh, little sheets uh, that, that relate to the PowerPoint. I forgot to put the blanks in there. I'm sorry about that. Daniel came up to me and said, this already has the answers in it. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry about that. Maybe to put, you know, make some notes along the way there to, to help you out with that. And the third thing I would like to say is about the building and the things that are going on to improve this. As you can see, a lot of changes are going on. I was teach, uh, uh, teasing Richard Rabin this morning about the bright lights back in the back. Some of the lights are being changed out. I, I said that so the old people can see. That's where you need to sit, back there. Really the reason for that is so I can see anybody that's sleeping in the back. That's what it is. But no, just easy. It's going to be great to be able to have some better lights, be able to see a little bit better. But I didn't make this announcement to tease about that. I made this announcement to say this. Um, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, and that's okay. I found out yesterday because I'm so noisy, uh, because I'm so nosy that Jerry and Elaine are paying for a great deal of this work personally. And I'm sure you want to know that. They wouldn't tell you. I know it. They wouldn't tell you. They, I'm sure they just soon know, nobody knows. Uh, but they're paying for a lot of it personally. And so I know you want to know that so that you can tell them thank you for that. The lesson this morning is on making choices. And, and I don't have any new scriptures. I'm sure everybody here knows the scriptures I'm going to be talking about. Lord willing, this lesson and then one more in a couple of weeks when I preach again. And uh, so, so, so there's no new ideas, no new scriptures, nothing that you're going to go, wow, I didn't know that. But I want us to think about this tomorrow, uh, this morning, and I want us to, to, to meditate on the things that we're going to talk about because we all make choices. A lot of times in life, things are crazy, things are busy. We say, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this, and tomorrow's going to be really crazy, and it's... Because we've made choices. We are so busy and, and, and we don't have the time for, for things sometimes. We neglect things sometimes because of the choices that we're making. And we need to realize we are the ones who put ourselves in such a position. And we can blame no one but ourselves by the choices that we make. The scripture reading already this morning from Joshua chapter 24, Joshua called on the children of Israel to make a choice. Which God are you going to serve? And Joshua says, as for me and my family, we have decided already and already made the choice. And he called on all of them to make their choice and warned of the consequences because there are consequences regarding the choices that we make. 
So in thinking about this, I've come up with several categories, not all categories you can talk about, but just a few categories just to help us think about this. And I hope as it is for you as it's been for me in preparing the lesson, I've thought about a lot of other things also, and I'm sure you will too. The first thing I want to talk about is our decision, our choice, whether to be happy or sad, whether to have joy or sadness. That's a choice. I was talking with uh, a young person uh, checking me out at, the, uh, at Publix the other day. And we were joking around about some things, and we were talking about being happy, being sad. And I said, you know, there's always something to be happy about. It's just that sometimes we got to work harder to find it. And that's the way that it is, especially with us as Christians. Let's look at a couple of verses. Again, verses you know and you've read many times. We've talked about, but will you please turn in your Bibles? Let's look at them together and meditate on them. James 1 and verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, let's be honest about it. The people James is writing to have much more difficult trials than we do. And he, if he is telling them to count it all joy, we certainly should be able to be joyous and happy all of the time because our trials are a small fraction as to those these people he's writing to experience. And he says knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And we could talk for the whole lesson about applying this. But my point is today, being happy or having joy is a decision, and it's a choice that we make regarding how we think and how we look at life and the way that we live. Our whole perspective, our paradigm of life, it is a choice that we make. So if we go around all sad, bummed out, negative, life is a bummer and a drag, that's our choice. But if we go around rejoicing and happy, focusing on the positive, that's a choice in how we look at that. Go also with me over to Philippians chapter 4. Again, another, another verse you know so well. Uh, but, but, to, but to look at it from the Word of God and to reinforce the things we're talking about. In verse 4, as, as the Apostle Paul is focusing on this rejoicing, uh, you know, the apex of the epistle in chapter 3, verse 1, it's all about rejoicing. So now verse 4, verse of chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Brethren, there is never a time when we cannot make the choice to rejoice. There's never going to be circumstances in which there is no area in life in which we cannot rejoice. And so it depends on how we want to focus on things. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. In other words, our life is to reflect the fact that we are rejoicing all the time. Now, sometimes it may be harder to find those things in life. We may have to work a little harder. But as Christians, we work to find it and we rejoice. And everybody can see that in our lives. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. 
Is that hard to do? Sure. That's hard to do, but anxiety, undue worldly care, is a choice. Now, whether or not we're going to put our emphasis and our brain power and concentrate on those things and let it get it all get us all down instead of rejoicing in the Lord, that is our choice. So be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let the, your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It is a choice. So we have choices to make. As Christians, we are joyous and rejoicing all the time. That's what God has commanded. And so we are the world's Bible. Showing the way to live and to be happy in life. And people will ask, you're going through that and that is so bad and how can you still be so happy? What is it you have that I don't? I want what you have. And so they ask for, for the hope that lies within us and then we're ready to make our defense and give an answer. And so it's evangelistic by the choices we make. We are happy and rejoicing all the time because of the strength and the blessings God gives us. And so we're living testimonies of the power of God in the life of his children. But we have to make the right choice to do that. Along with that, our attitude toward ourselves and other people is a choice. And I want to talk about three basic attitudes in this regard besides what we've already talked about. And that is choosing to be positive or negative. I don't know about you. I don't like being around negative people. Negative people aren't making the right choices to look at things the right way. You know, the glass can be half full or half empty. You, you've heard that. You've thought about that before. It depends on how you look at it. Well, I'm bummed out that I don't have the rest of that half of a glass filled up. Or I'm happy because <laughs> I've got half of it full. It's a choice. How we look about it. Now, while we're in Ephesians, go over to chapter 3. And, and, and I couldn't help but think about the Apostle Paul. You know, he'd been stoned, what, three times, left for dead. He'd been scourged five times. If you can imagine what that would be like. Shipwrecked and all sorts of other things that are listed over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And, but he was a positive fellow. I mean, he had such a positive attitude, and it's because of the choice he made to have that attitude. In Philippians 3 and verse 13, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 15. Let us therefore as many as are perfect have this attitude. This is the attitude. If you're a mature Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, you're a mature Christian, or you should be, then you should have this attitude. You're not worried about what happened in the past. He wasn't worried about being stoned to death and left dead. He wasn't stoned about, he wasn't worried about being scourged five times. He forgot that was in the past. He was, he was working toward getting to heaven. And all that other stuff didn't matter anymore. And when you're working to get to heaven and you're focused on the prize, aren't you going to be positive? How can we be negative? That's what I want to know. We can't be. Jesus Christ came to earth and died for our sins so that we can go to heaven. We are his disciples, children of God. 
We're on our way to heaven. We have the promise of eternal life. What is there to be negative about? That's what I want to know. There's not anything to be negative about. And notice over in chapter 4, chapter 4, and, and one of my favorite passages, maybe yours also, in verse 12, Paul says, I know how to get along with humble means, and also uh, I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and being hum hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I mean, is that a positive attitude or what? That whatever comes my way, I know I can deal with it to the glory of God. It doesn't matter how hard things get. It doesn't matter how difficult things get. In our young adult Bible class, Emerson what was uh, talking about the early persecutions of the church going up to about, <coughs> up to about 300 A.D. and talking about some of the difficulties those Christians had. And Paul teaches them to say, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And when we can say that and believe that, there's nothing but positive attitude that, that, that comes from that. How about David and Goliath and the Philistines and the Israelites? Here were all of these adult warriors of Israel, and they were all negative. We can't, we can't defeat this giant called Goliath. We can't do it. It's impossible. And so it goes on day after day, day and night, day and night. They're taunted and nobody had the positive attitude of the little boy David who couldn't even fit in an adult set of armor. So this one little boy comes up with a positive attitude and he says this, you know, God has promised in his word there's going to be a remnant. We're going to be victorious. That we're going to defeat all of these nations. I said, I know I can do it. And so he goes out there and he does it. He gets a sling with his five little stones and he kills the giants. And then what happens? Now all of Israel, all of those adults who had such a negative attitude, all of a sudden they have a positive attitude. And they go out and defeat the Philistines that day. So there's a big lesson that if we as Christians can have a positive attitude we should have, it catches on fire with everybody else. So we as Christians are to be the leaders, and we are, because we have the attitude God wants us to have. We can also have the attitude whether or not to build people up or tear them down. And as Christians, we have the attitude to build them up. We're, we never want to tear anybody down. Go with me over to Romans chapter 15. And here, the Lord uses the example of Jesus Christ. Paul has been talking about, all the way through chapter 14, about building people up. And, and there may be people who have opinions different than yours, and, and, and they may be weak in faith. And so, and so you're to build them up, not tear them down because of that. And so now in chapter 15, Paul uses the example of Jesus Christ. And he says this, Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Boy, is that not a big statement. Edification to build up. We are to be building up everybody all the time. That's what we're to be doing. And now look at the example of Jesus Christ where even Christ did not please himself but as it is written the approaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So to build everybody up. 
Now, that doesn't mean we always tell them what they want to hear. You know, sometimes to build people up, it takes some of that instructive discipline. Sometimes it takes some of that corrective discipline to build them up. It doesn't mean tell everybody what they want to hear all the time. It doesn't mean never discipline. It doesn't mean never instruct. To build people up, there are some things they are not going to want to hear that they need to hear. But as Christians, we're always looking to build them up and to make them better. You know, to become better is very painful. It's very painful. You know, no pain, no gain. And so, if we're going to build up, there's going to be some pain associated with that, both for ourselves and for others. Go over to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 with me. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. And here Paul is talking about our speech. Verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace. I know this is hard to do. I know I fall short at this. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. In other words, make it as palatable as possible, but you still got to say what needs to be said. <clears throat> and people are going to get angry sometimes. They're going to get mad sometimes. They're, 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 they're going to, to, to do bad things to you because you say what had to be said, but still make it as palatable as possible but it's still got to be said. The world we live in today, everybody's saying, don't no, be quiet. Don't hurt anybody's feelings. Don't say anything. Shh, be quiet. That's not it. We still have to say. We still have to speak up. But we do it as nicely and as graciously as we can. And, it, and, and Paul says this at the end of verse 6, so that we know how to respond to each person. So that we know how to talk to them. And it's an attitude. And I'll confess to you, I fall short with his attitude sometimes. You know, it's an attitude to build up, to have their best interests in mind all the time, even when saying the hard things, and make it as easy as possible to take, but it's still medicine is hard to take sometimes. Do the best we can with that. Now, it's also an attitude whether or not to lead people to Christ. And that's an attitude we've got to have 24-7, all the time, around the clock. We're looking at someone. How can I lead them to Christ? In 1 Peter chapter 3, I want to just pull out a few things very quickly. And maybe you've looked at this passage before, but not in light, but not in light of, 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 of evangelism in, in this broad of a context. 1 Peter 3 and verse 13. Now, long reading. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pull out some things. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always be, being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Now I want you to notice what, what is involved in this attitude. Verse 13, we must be zealous for what is good. To be zealous... That is an uncompromising partisan. 
In other words, not to be like what everybody in society wants us to be like, to have this tolerance that you're okay, I'm okay, what you do is all right, that's your business, I say nothing about it, I shut up. You can criticize me, I can't criticize you. That's sort of what's going on nowadays. If you're a Christian, you can say nothing to anybody, but all the pagans can say to you everything they want to say. You've just got to be quiet and take it. That's not what, that's not what we're talking about. To be zealous for what is good. To be an uncompromising partisan. To never compromise. What is good? Verse 14, not to fear or be troubled. And what happens? Well, we are afraid and we are troubled. So, so we stand there and say nothing a lot of times. And we lead nobody to Christ. So this is like the story I told you, and I think I've got it right. Of the lady who was baptized a Sunday night or two, someone told her right in the church building, your baptism isn't right. If that fellow would have just been quiet and not said anything, she'd may not be a Christian today. Somebody had to say something. And the best way that could be said, it hurt her feelings. But she studied the Word of God and found out, yeah, you know, you're right, I need to do something about that. So don't be afraid and don't be troubled by those who are going to persecute us. Verse 15, sanctify Christ in our hearts. Set Christ apart to be in our heart the special person He is, Lord in Christ, whom we must obey no matter what. So we need to do that. Verse 15, ready. Well, there's a lot to do in getting ready. There was a lot to do in getting ready and building the ark so that they could get in it and float away. And there's a lot to do to get ready to make a defense. And we have to do that. It, with our, our Bible studies and our work here as a church and also individually, we're getting ready and we're working to do that. And verse 15, to everyone who asks. Well, we're not prejudiced. We're sowing the seed everywhere. We're not picking and choosing, but it's everywhere and everybody. Verse 15, answer with gentleness and reverence. And to do that, don't you have to have that attitude? To be gentle and reverence. And I tell you what, I fall short in this too. You know, thankfully there's the Word of God, and it's perfect, but I'm not perfect. So I can teach perfection, but me practicing it, that can be a whole different thing sometimes. Because sometimes I'm not gentle as I ought to be gentle. And it's probably because I'm not reverent as I ought to be reverent. But this is what the attitude we must have and work and strive for. Verse 16, so that we keep a good conscience at all times. Even when we're slandered, we have a good conscience. Now look at chapter 2, verse 12. Just one verse very quickly. I want, to, I want us to be, oh, excuse me, typo there. It's verse 21. Chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And so I think when Peter gets over to chapter 3 and he's really outlining some of these things, it's hard to do. And we really have to work on our attitude. And we have to use the word of God to train ourselves. And we have to repent when we make mistakes. And we have to learn from the mistakes. And thankfully, I can testify to the, to the fact that if you keep working on your mistakes, they get fewer and fewer and fewer, although you might make some sometimes. As Christians, we are positive about God and positive about the church and positive about our lives. And we are, therefore, good spiritual leaders to those who are around us. 
We have an attitude that builds people up, although we make mistakes sometimes. We don't want to tear anybody down. We have an attitude that leads people to Christ with the gospel rather than Satan, and this is all because of the choices that we make. The third area I want to talk about is whether to be a friend or an enemy. To be a friend or an enemy. Go with me over to Matthew chapter 5. And I guess everybody in the audience has people in their life who's decided to be their enemy. You know, Paul says, be at peace with all men as much as, as possible. And there's, there's some people that just don't want to be at peace. And it's our decision, are we going to treat them like a friend, although they treat us like an enemy? Are we still going to treat them like a friend? That is our choice. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. Jesus says, you have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, isn't that still the way it is today in the world? That's not changed, has it? But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise uh, on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. You know, I, I struggled for a long time in telling people that I didn't, didn't really know and telling people that I knew but I disagreed with the way they were living to say to them, God bless you. What I decided was this. God's blessing them anyway. God's blessing them anyway. And so there's no, no problem with me saying God bless you. And as I look at those people and I think about those individuals, you know, how I treat them, no matter how they treat me, is my decision. And, and Jesus says, look, if they are your enemy, still be their friend. If they're hungry, give them something to eat. If they need a drink, give them something to drink. Don't treat them like you, like they treat you. You be their friend. Remember Romans 13, 8 and 10. Oh, nothing to anyone except love. For he who loves his neighbors fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And how about the good Samaritan, the parable of the good Samaritan? You know, Jesus is asked, you know, who's my neighbor and what does it mean to be a good neighbor? And he tells this parable. And I think about my life. Am I living by this parable? Am I doing the same, the same thing? And you remember what it was. There was some guy who had been beaten and, 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 and just left destitute. And the priest goes, uh, the Levite goes by and doesn't help. And the priest goes by and doesn't help. And then the Samaritan goes by. And uh, he not only helps, he takes the guy, gives him a place to live, makes all the provisions that he needs. He pays for everything, and he tells the innkeeper, if he needs more than that, just give it to him. I'll pay when I come back. And I ask myself, have I ever been a good neighbor like that? Jesus is asked, well, who's my neighbor? What is this all about? This is what Jesus says. Uh, Jesus just wasn't telling a story to tell a story. Jesus meant what he said. And, and I ask myself, am I a good neighbor like that? You know, and it says in there that, that the Samaritan had compassion and mercy. And mercy is to do something for someone that they, that they need but they can't do for themselves. There are a lot of people in the world like that. It's not that, that there's not people out there that, that there's nobody out there that needs mercy. <laughs> I can't be a good Samaritan. Oh, yeah, there are a lot of people out there. 
Who need that? And my question to myself is, am I really being a good Samaritan? Am I taking literally what Jesus says and what he's teaching, or am I just making excuses? Because I want to make the wrong choices. I need to seriously evaluate that. I've told you the story about, uh, about Damien. He heard of a, he heard of a, a, a teacher's son who needed, uh, who needed a, a transplant. And uh, because they had cancer. And, and, he, and he had 12 $5 bills and he went and gave his $60. And all of a sudden, there, all these people started doing all these fundraisers and all this stuff going on. And business people started giving. And within just a few days, they had $220,000 so he could have the operation. And the baby lived. But what if Damien, the little 12-year-old, would have just sat there and done nothing? Somebody had to get all that started. That's being a good neighbor. And so the young people here, I say, hey, you're not excluded from this. Are you a good neighbor? Are you out helping and doing for those who need and can't do for themselves? Or are we just happy in our little lives doing, doing what we want to do and making choices that don't include really being the good neighbors Jesus wants us to be? I hope you'll read the bulletin. The reason for the season? Greed? Question mark. I really think about that a lot. We're in the gimme, 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 I want, I want hedonistic, apathetic society. It's easy for us to be the same way and not make the choices Jesus wants us to make and not be good Samaritans because we're so busy just heaping it upon ourselves. I really think about that. And I'll tell you why I think about it. Go with me over to James chapter 2 is because one day we're going to stand in judgment for the Lord as to whether or not we're good neighbors or not. Oh, yeah, we're going to stand in judgment about did you go to church and, and you know, did you, did, did, was your worship in spirit and in truth and all that. But I'll tell you something, we can do all of that, but if we're not good neighbors, if we're not making the right choices, I don't think we're going to heaven. I've got to tell you that. I don't think you can just go to the right church and do the right things in these four walls and say, well, man, heaven's my home without doing the right thing outside of these four walls. I, I, I think it takes both. And in James chapter 2 and verse 8, James says this, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, Jesus was asked, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> and now the Lord tells us, hey, you're going to be judged. Go down just a little bit further. Verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Love your neighbor as yourself. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so, folks, I tell you the seriousness of this. If we're out here living like everybody else in the world and just greedily taking care of ourselves and, and, and having a good time and doing what we want to do. And if we are not seeking out those who need mercy and who need help to help them, 
I think judgment's going to be a bad thing. I don't think it's going to be that great grand old day we sing about sometimes if we're just making the wrong choices about being a good neighbor. That's why I think it's so serious. As Christians, living the way we should, we are friends to everyone. As far as we're concerned, we don't have an enemy out there. Now, somebody might decide to be our enemy, but hey, we've decided to be their friend, and we're going to be their friend just as much as we can. We're good neighbors to everyone. You know, God chose us to be his friends while we were sinners. And we choose to be friends with all those in the world because that's what he wants us to do. And in doing that, we are perfect as his children. Are we making the right choices to be the friends and the good neighbors we ought to be? I think, I think I'll stop there because my time is up. And uh, I want to continue on. Of course, one thing we're going to talk about in the end is whether deci deciding to be a Christian or going to heaven and, and things such as that. But we'll stop for right now and uh, we'll extend the gospel invitation. We're going to sing number 280. I suggested this to, uh, to Derek because it's a song that talks about making a decision. And I'm reminded of Joshua, who called the children of Israel to make a decision about which God they're going to, going to serve and follow. And we've talked about other decisions that we make as Christians. And of course, every one of us here, we want to please God. We want to do the right thing. And as God's children, we need to test ourselves and examine ourselves and See where we can improve. I mean, I've confessed to you many times I need to improve, and I'll confess to you again the things we've talked about this morning, I, I need to improve. And maybe everybody here needs to improve. And I guess the lesson is about looking at our lives, examining, seeing where these areas are, and making the choice to change, and not just be in the same rut all the time. So we end with this song, I Have Decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. And that's the first decision. But there are many that come in life after that. So if you're not a Christian this morning, will you not make that first decision? To follow Jesus. What must you do? Well, I suspect you know what to do. Believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the one whom we must obey, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, simply rendering obedience to him. Repenting of your sins, that means just stop to do the wrong things and start doing the right things in obedience to Christ. Make your confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God because that's what you believe. And to be baptized for the remission of your sins because that's what he's commanded. If you're a Christian here this morning and, and, and you need help from the congregation, if you need prayers, if you need to make a confession of things that just aren't right, that need to be right, you can also come and we'll pray with you today. If we can help you at all this morning, won't you come to the front now as we stand and sing?